it's good to be together and uh, we pray that uh, as God has already spoken to us, he'll continue to speak to us. This on? Yeah, thank you. I don't know whether you notice what's taking place um, in the service this morning, but it, it's actually what church is all about. Uh, because uh, uh, some churches just want to worship. Uh, some churches just want to do works. But actually, it's always all of that because it intermingles. It's, it, when, when, when church is about God, it inevitably becomes about people. And when it becomes about people, it inevitably becomes about God. And this morning, as we've worshipped God, as we've raised him up, as we've lifted him on high, uh, we've also had stories spilling out of what God is doing. Um, because as our attention is lifted to God, it will always be drawn also to those that are around us. And I really love this about Arena Church. And I believe Christians right that that momentum and that sense of what God's doing needs just to increase. And it will increase as we keep our eyes on God. And then God gives us the grace to minister out to people. And the third element of that, of course, is that we strengthen ourselves by doing exactly what we're doing right now. And that's drawing together on the faith of each other and, uh, and uh, blessing God, reaching out to folks, but inspiring our own hearts to keep going. This morning, if you've got a Bible, I want just to read a couple of verses. Our uh, series uh, on being intentional uh, draws to a close as we come to this uh, week that leads up to Easter. And uh, the verses that I want to read this morning were almost made for this. So the, uh, the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, sort of realized that I was going to be speaking this message 2,000 years later and he felt inspired of the Spirit to write these words that really help us this morning on our sixth message on be intentional. Because in 1 Peter 1 and chapter 15 it says, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we have been running under this banner of be intentional. We pray about these things. We ask God to help us. We don't just want to come up with a good idea, but we want to carry something of God's heart to us in a season. And uh, the foundational verses for this were the prophet Isaiah speaking in Isaiah 50 about setting his face as a flint. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 9 verse 51 speaking about resolutely setting out to Jerusalem. And as we come to this week of Good Friday, Easter Sunday, then we understand all the implications of Jesus resolutely, intentionally setting out to Jerusalem because he knew what lay before him. We talked about being rich because we can be rich because we are. We talked about being available. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord's high and lifted up and his train filling the temple and Isaiah's response was, here I am, send me. We talked about being our best, and Christian brought the second message on that sense of being our best in our personal finances, and God is interested in every detail of our lives. And as we bring it all to him and are our best for him, then we can believe for God to bless us in an amazing way. We talked on Mother's Day about being appreciative, and last week Christian talked about being fruitful, dealing with the issues in the garden of our life, that will help us to be fruitful. Right from Genesis, friends, the very first book in the Bible, it is God's intention, God's purpose over our lives, God's destiny over his church, that we would be fruitful, that we would grow, that we would replenish the earth, that we would invade issues that are against God for the cause of God. 
And as we uh, receive that message to our heart, I believe that fruitfulness will flow out in all of our lives. And so we come to number six, be holy, out of a recognition that God is holy. The holiness of God is defined as his moral state of perfection, which can neither increase nor decrease. But here's the challenge, friends. In response to a holy God, God says, be holy as I am holy. I'm not going to try and dress this word up today and create another word. There's a bit of a trend in the church nowadays to sort of lose a bit of confidence in what we're doing and think that people want us to use something else. So, for instance, people say, oh, no, we don't mention preaching in our church now. It's a talk. I tell you what, friends, there are lots of people come through this church during a week giving a talk. And I want to say with absolute sincerity this morning, we don't need a talk. We don't need somebody chatting us through. We need messengers. We need the prophetic word. We need God's word that will burn as a fire in our hearts. We need people to arise in these days, unashamedly, that will preach the word of God. Paul said to Timothy, and I don't think he's changed his mind because it's in the word of God, preach the words. And so we try and come up for words because we somehow feel that people won't respond to how we're talking, uh, how we're doing things. And the reality is, friends, the church is not going to grow on talks. It's going to grow on messages that come from the very heart of God that speak to our life and bring change. And as I was thinking about the message today, I thought I'm going to resist every temptation to try and come up with another word for holy. Because the passionate heart of God in these days, friends, 21st century Christian living, where we do want to be relevant, where we do want to be contemporary, where we do want to speak to a modern age, where we do want to feel as though we've got some handle on what God is doing in the locality, in the nation, and yes, even in the earth, is that this message never changes. It's not a message about the past. It's a prophetic challenge to the church now that we would be a holy people. Be holy just as I am holy. What is the very essence of the call when we speak about holiness? Well, it's to, to God-likeness. It's to embrace the challenge of Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter 5 where he talks about being perfect. That word means being complete and mature. It reflects the fact that when we're described as saints in the Bible, it's not just for a special few people that have done a miracle or two and when they die we decide we're going to call them saint this and saint that. It defines the church, the separated ones of God, the hagios, the different people. Not different weird, but different because light has invaded our lives and light shines out in a dark world. That is a holy people. Sadly, when you mention the word holy in church, there can be that inward groan because the word has so often become derided and even ignored. It's become a parody, a misrepresentation of what it actually means. I'm going to spend the first part of the message this morning and I'll just bullet point a number of things. And If you jot in a few notes, you may find it helpful. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm going to spend some time in talking about what holiness is not. Because I think that lots of Christians push back on holiness because they've got an idea of what it is, but it's not what God's saying. And uh, so I'm going to give you a few sort of thoughts on that and then we'll come to uh, apply it to our own own hearts but let's make no mistake friends when God has called us to follow Jesus he has called us to follow Jesus so we might be different that we might follow him that we might live for him that we might reflect him and that challenge is no less so today so the Bible talks in Romans 10 about people that have a zeal without knowledge 
And so often churches try to bring holiness firstly by imposition. It's been top down. It's been authoritative. It's been a command. It's been overbearing. It's been, in, it's been controlling. I want to say, friends, it's impossible to maintain. It's impossible to maintain. And the whole motivation to be like God, to reflect Jesus in our lives, cannot be done by imposition. Secondly, it cannot be done by regulation. Lawmaking, if you want another word for that, legalism. I jest a little bit when I use the phrase that Phil Yancey uses in one of his books, that I'm a recovering legalist. You see, in, in the great sense of, of uh, people being uh, passionate about God, part of my formative years grew up where people did define holiness by what you wore and did define holiness by where you went and did define holiness by externals. In other words, there was a danger, friends, as well-intentioned as it was, that we defined holiness by law, legalism. And Jesus marched right through this in the Gospels when he came to people such as the group of the Pharisees. There were people that were forever making laws. And he says, that's not what I've come to do. I've come to bring the kingdom. I've come actually to oppose what you're standing for. And I've come to realize not only them, but also as I've grown as a Christian, that very often the people that were making the laws were actually the people that were breaking them. Because you see, holiness never works by an outward expression. And if the heart is corrupt inside, it will always go against it eventually. Thirdly, holiness sometimes has been brought by intimidation. I know it's a strong word, but I'm going to deliberately use it. In other words, we seek to cower people into some sort of response to God by using doctrines inappropriately. So we've talked about hell, and Jesus talked about hell, friends. And I believe in a real hell. Perhaps we need to say that today because there are lots of people, even in the evangelical world, who are saying they don't. And I believe, friends, there's going to be a place one day, prepared initially for Satan and his hosts. There's going to be a place where people are aware of their separateness from God. I don't know whether some of the stuff that we read about in the Bible is symbolic or, phys or literal. I'm not too concerned. I know that hell's going to be a place where God's not, and I don't want to be there. But friends, we should never use hell as a, as, as a whip to get people to respond to living a holy life. And then what about the second advent of Jesus? We believe in the second coming of the Lord. We can have a huge debate today about the sequence of events. And if you think you've got it all sussed out, wise up. Because other people think they've got it sussed out as well, and they'll see it completely different from you. The thing, friends, that binds us all together is that one day Jesus says, I will come again. And some of you have grown up with people saying, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, when Jesus comes, you're not going. I don't know what sort of theology that is, friends, but if I can be blunt this morning, it's naff. Because your salvation this morning, your security in Jesus Christ is not dependent upon location. It's dependent upon what Jesus Christ did for you in the cross. So if Jesus Christ comes again and you're in the pictures, wherever we're going, you're okay. If Jesus Christ comes again and you're at the footy match, wherever, you, wherever we're going, you're okay. We, we, we've taken hold of some of this stuff and we've tried to intimidate people into a holy life. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. People don't sustain it and they are not motivated properly to live for Jesus. And then in the pursuit of the holy life, again, we've often been misguided. 
We've been misguided by our thoughts of what separation is. And please hear me when I say this because I'm not being disparaging. I know there's some tremendous stories. But we hear of people taking holy orders. I read a piece in the National Press some time ago of a very, very successful career-minded woman in her 30s that had earned a lot of money in the city of London. And then she had one of those moments, those epiphanies. And she gave it all up and she became a nun. She took holy orders. I understand that some of these people are incredibly well-motivated friends. I'm, I'm not even saying that some of them don't know Jesus. I'm really, really not. But I think, friends, in reality of what Jesus taught, we misunderstand actually what we're supposed to do because the Bible says that you are in the world, but not of it. He's not asked us to come out of the world. In other words, very often our separation idea of holiness becomes isolation. We run to a monastery. We run to a commune. We run to something where that horrible, big, bad world out there is not going to get us. Friends, he's placed us in that big, bad world to make a difference. As you've heard this morning, and here's the challenges, we'll come to it later. It's totally possible in that big, bad world for us to live a holy life. You see, we've all been called to holy orders. We've all been called to holy orders. It's not, friends, it's not only not about separation, it's not about exhibition. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't be like those that when they pray, they're like hypocrites. They're standing in the synagogues and praying on the street corners. In other words, people were doing things to be seen. He said, oh, well, that were then. I tell you, friends, the church is full of them. All over the place, people doing things to be seen. But that's not holiness. And then what about denomination? Groups have emerged, friends, again, very well intentioned over the years with an emphasis on holiness. Go to North America today, you'll still find some very, very strong holiness movements around. Early Pentecostalism came out of, uh, uh, many people came out of a holiness movement. They then got baptized in the Holy Spirit and Pentecostalism began to emerge. I was saying the other day that if you went to some of the old Assemblies of God churches a few years ago, over the pulpit, you would often see the words holiness unto the Lord. And we used to sing hymns. Anybody remember this one? Here's the chorus. Holiness unto the Lord. Uh, is our, uh, uh, let me just get the words. Holiness unto the word, Lord, is our watchword and strong. Holiness unto the Lord as we're marching along. Sing it, shout it. Loud and long, holiness unto the Lord, now and forever. And the thing is, I'm so old, I can remember the tune as well. So, you know. All very well intentioned, but you cannot denominationalize holiness. And fourthly, miscomprehension. A deficient understanding of what God is calling us to means that often we place holiness in other things. Again, please hear me. Today is Palm Sunday. We're reading Matthew of the people raising the, their hosannas to God. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the king of kings. Glory in the highest uh, to Jesus Christ who reigns forever and ever. And of course, just a few days later, those same people will kind crucify him. Palm Sunday. And in the church calendar we now go into what we call holy week i understand that 
people's spirituality is sometimes finds different expressions. I've got Anglican friends that sort of, I've said to them at times, tell me about Advent. You know, you know it's a preparation. Now, okay, I get it. And when I told uh, one of my priest friends that I, used, I, I did a, um, a, a devotional s- study on Advent, he were amazed, you know, because he thinks it all passes us by, you see. Um, and we just don't get it the same as they do. And then, of course, people have been sort of appropriating various things to their lives with regard to Easter. We come to Holy Week. Hear me, friends. This week is no more holy than any other week. It really isn't. But you see, what we've done in the church over the years is we've talked about Holy Week, Holy Tables, Holy Relics, Holy Land, Holy Places, Holy Days, Holy Buildings. Brothers and sisters, they were all jettisoned at the cross. Because in Christ, all that has been taken away. And the only thing that God talks about in the New Testament with regard to holiness is people. People. And of course, it's great for us at times to apply it to a table or a day or a land. But he's passionate about holy people. Peter writing later in this first epistle says these words, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Friends, the language couldn't be more specific. It wasn't about ethnicity. It was about spirituality. It wasn't about a particular group of people. It was all the redeemed of Jesus down the history of time. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you become part of the holy nation. It is not defined by territorial boundaries. The kingdom has no ends. It cannot be contained. It spreads north, south, east, west, across the whole of the world. And when you see that you belong to that, it inspires you to want to be a holy person. And I give him pushback on this truth this morning, friends. No, the exact opposite. I believe that God in a 21st century church is impassioned about believers of him intentionally following God and saying, God, I am passionate about being holy. I'm concerned when people, friends, push back on it and their lifestyle in terms of how they live contradicts the confession of their faith in a holy God. I'm concerned at times when we're forever making excuses about, well, that's just me. That's who I am. I can't help it. I'll never be any better. The flesh is always getting better in me. We have all those issues, all of us. But brothers and sisters, God wants us to mature. He wants us to become increasingly like him. He wants you to make an intentional journey to say, that's what I want to be. I want to be holy. And I want to just give you three banner headlines to help us this morning intentionally live a holy life. Number one, the provision for holiness. If I can go back to week one and Christian's comment, you can because you are. You may be saying, Phil, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian a few months. I've been a Christian a few years. I've been a Christian many years. This to me seems an impossible challenge it's not impossible because there's a sense friends where you already already are holy the provision for holiness is not in you it's in jesus christ 
It's not in your ability, your strength, your self-effort, but it's in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, we have been made holy, be made holy, past tense, through the sacrifice of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, once and for all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about people that have come to the church. There's a grisly list of people that reflect their life of sin in Corinth at that particular time. But it goes on to say, but you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified. The word sanctify and holy are interchangeable in the scriptures. You are holy. And here's the good news, friends, today. Brothers and sisters, the moment you stepped into Jesus Christ, you became holy. And waved a tape at me yesterday when we were doing some sorting out at Bosworth Street by Roger Price, a, 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 a wonderful Bible teacher, a little eccentric, now with the Lord. And he had a message, I think, which went something like this, that when you came to Jesus, 42 things happened in your life. He theologically worked them all out. He tells you what you stepped into. One of the things that happened the day that you became a, a Christian was that God looked on you and says, you are a holy Christian. It's what theologians call positional holiness. You are holy. You are accepted in my sight because of what Jesus Christ did for you. We are holy. That's our position. That's our status. But here's the challenge. We are to be holy. That's the progression. That's the process. That's what works out in the nitty-gritty of you and I becoming fully devoted, mature believers of Jesus Christ. We are not asking anyone here this morning to do that in their own efforts the price has been paid. The sacrifice has been made. The declaration over our lives has been declared. And out of all of that wonderful foundation, God says, go on a journey. Because you are, so be. Because you stand before me accepted, so live out a life that brings glory to my name. Not only the provision for holiness, but the definition of holiness. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, <clears throat> As I've already said, there was no distinction between the words holy and sanctify. And you may read Leviticus sometime. I think, what on earth is this all about? Christians told me to read my Bible. I'm into Leviticus chapter 2, verse 3. And I don't think it's a very good idea. What's Leviticus all about? It's all about holiness. It's all about holiness. And God, and friends, God had to take people through a time <clears throat> where he revealed spiritual things in tangible ways. <clears throat> it was the age of the law. He had a particular people that he was relating to. And so you'll read there about <clears throat> priests being prepared. You'll read about ceremonial washings. You'll read about how only some people could go into the holiest of all, etc., etc. It's all about the holiness of God. Here's the good news. You don't have to do any of that now. Because it was all shadowing something. And I tell you, friends, I love Easter. And my passion is in these days that the church would increasingly realize what the cross is all about. Because if I can say it again very reverently this morning, it's more than just him dying for your sins upon the cross. It's Jesus issuing in a new order, a new day, a new covenant a new agreement, a new plan, a new expression. And the only group of people that he's going to do that through is the church of Jesus Christ. Right across the earth. 
And so we see in the Old Testament expressions shadowing which now, what now tangibly, what now takes place from our hearts spiritually. And I'll give you four words that reflect the holiness pursuit after God in the Old Testament. Number one, separation. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. Made a day holy, separate. We had this age-old debate years ago. Very well-intentioned people, Lord's Day Observance Society, all these sorts of things. It, you know, Sunday, and should we keep Sunday special? And do 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 I understand, friends, that in the secularization of our nation, it's brought challenges to church. But I'm not sure that ever Sunday was special. In the New Testament, friends, for the first 300 years, people went to work on Sunday and found time to go to worship as well. And they changed it from Saturday, which was the Jewish um, Sabbath, just on Friday night through to just on Saturday night. They changed it deliberately because they were in a new order. They didn't want it to be fined by an old Sabbath. So they came together on the first day. Many of them had to work, but they found time to come together on the first day. Now, the, the whole seventh-day principle is a good principle. We need to find somewhere within a week, friends, to have a day of rest. But, you know, we've sometimes gone down blind alleys. The issue is not a particular day. And every one of us knows people that were spiritual on Sunday and the horns grew again on Monday, you know. That's not holiness. That's not holiness. Second one, Exodus 13, 2, dedication. Third one, Exodus 19, 10, purification. And the fourth one, Exodus 28, 41, and the many references that we could use, consecration. Here's a summation of holiness. Holiness is being separated from sin, being dedicated to God, expressing a purity of heart that gives our lives for his service. Does that sound weird? No. Does that sound strange? No. Does that mean that you've got to act all sort of odd to prove that you're holy? No, friends. It positions us out of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ to come to a place in our lives where we are vessels, as Paul talks to Timothy, fit for the master's use that he can flow through in power and glory for his goodness. The provision for holiness, we can because we are the definition of holiness. And thirdly, friends, and this is most important, I want you to listen to this as I close. The reaction to holiness. You see, here's the challenge this morning. What is my intentional response to the principles that God is laying down in the scriptures? And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to apply his word to our heart. I've tried to debug some of the myths this morning about holiness. I hope you've heard them. We don't want folks, friends, putting on some sort of super spiritual exhibition is showing the church to prove their holiness. It's not about whether you wear a tie, shirt and tie on a Sunday. It's not about any of those sorts of things. We'd be in the right state in this church if it was, wouldn't we? <laughs> I occasionally roll one out, as you know, but that's because I like wearing a tie occasionally, you know. Um, but uh, it's not about that. It's not about religious language. It's, it's not about ceremony. It's not about liturgy. It's not about any of those things. It's about people that are passionate, going back to right at the beginning, their pursuit of God. And when you live in that way, not because you're trying to do it, 
Try to be a bit more holy. But you can because you are. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has made provision for you to live like this and he dwells in you by his spirit. Here's three things that happen. Number one, you behave differently. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 to 7 using the brilliant words of Eugene Peterson from the message. Here's what he says. Our final words, friends, we ask you, urge is more like it, that you keep on doing what we told you to do to please God. Not in a dogged religious plod, but in a living, spirited dance. You know the guidelines we laid out for you from the master Jesus. God wants you to live a pure or holy life. Keep yourself from sexual promiscuity. Learn to appreciate and give dignity to your body. Not abusing it as is so common among those who know nothing of God. Don't run roughshod over the concerns of your brothers and sisters. Their concerns are God's God's concerns. And he will take care of them. We've warned you about this before. God hasn't invited us into a disorderly, unkept life, but into something holy and beautiful. As beautiful on the inside as the outside. If you disregard this advice, you're not offending your neighbor. You're rejecting God, who is making you a gift of his Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord for 21st century Christians. I don't care, friends, what's going off out there. I understand all the peer pressures that come to people's lives. And don't just think it's young people. I understand all the stuff that comes through the media. I understand all the images that we're confronted with every day. I understand all of that. And God is calling us, friends, to a holy life. Christians behave differently. Secondly, we need to think differently. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. J.B. Phillips quote from that verse, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And finally, we need to speak differently. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. Peterson again. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or unclean come out of your mouth. Say say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Friends, God's called us to be different. Sadly, so often... In the pursuit of holiness, the church is defined different by being odd. The church has defined itself as being different by saying, we don't want anybody else in. It might spoil what we've got. The church has defined itself as being different by all the blokes turning up in black three-piece suits and the ladies wearing hats. The church has defined itself as being different by not understanding that separation It's not isolation. And the world, friends, has happily watched those sorts of people just carry on in their religious pursuits and quite frankly has been utterly unimpressed and totally untouched. But when a holy people of God, passionate, 
contemporary, savvy, sophisticated, all, of, all with huge abilities around the church, brilliant in terms of their music, their ability to communicate, their understanding of a technological age, they're raising up of what God is doing in these days. When a people like that begin to live a holy life, I tell you, the world's ready, friends, to take notice. You see, because holiness is not meant to repel, it's meant to attract. Holiness is not meant to be irksome, it's meant to be winsome. Holiness is not meant to be ignored, it's meant to be embraced. It's meant to be so wonderful, friends, that people say, I want to live like that. I'm sick of the filth in my life. I'm sick of the gunge. I'm sick of the stuff that's in my life that is pressing me down. I want to live like those people at Arena. Let's be stirred on friends, to a holy life by great love. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So often, friends, we give pushback on the commands of God. Christians been sharing, I think, very sensitively, wisely, challengingly, the whole issue of money. You heard the story of the person says, Christian, it's not the money, it's the principle of the thing. It's the money every time. In other words, we just give pushback on obeying the word of God. If you're living wrong, friends, start living right. If you've got to go up this morning and leave this place and get quiet with God and make some big decisions, you need to make them. Because God is saying, if you love me, then you keep my commandments. Secondly, we need to know godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 talks about a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leaves no regret. See, lots of people are sorrowful because they get caught out. That's remorse. I'm not talking about remorse. I'm talking about repentance. I'm talking about when God's spoken to your life, you're so sorrowful that where you're living, you're sorry about it, you make a change. You go in the opposite direction and it leaves no regret. I listen to some Christians and I think sometimes they need to go and get a life outside because they're forever bemoaning the fact they're a Christian. Friends, this is the greatest call in life. The greatest call in life. This is what we were made for. To be followers of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, there's a grand call. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.1, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. A holy life unto the Lord, speaking to an onlooking world. D.L. Moody, the great American revivalist, says these words. A holy life will produce the deepest impression Lighthouses don't blow horns. They only shine. We're against this. We're against that. We're against... We're always against something. Let's be for something, friends. Let's be for following Jesus. Passionate about who he is. Saying, Lord, I want to be like you. A.W. Tozer understood intentionality. He says these words. Great 20th century prophet. Some of you may have got his little paperback books. He says, every man and woman is as holy as they want to be. It sounds sacrilege, but he understood intentionality. And finally, one final thing from Peterson, Philippians 2.15. Going to the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in a squalid, polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night 
So I'll have good cause to be proud of you when the day of Christ returns. Friends, this is not an old hat message. It's not something that we can find into the dustbins of Christian history. I believe that God is rising up in these days. Whatever the label, whatever the style, whatever the culture of the church, and he's passionately looking for people that will want to be like him. Be holy, because I am holy.